Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, which you can also find printed in your bulletin this morning. These are the words of St. Paul. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, leading to righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, leading to salvation. The scripture says, no one, in who, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm excited to share a word today just on this idea of the feet of those who bring good news, the beauty of the good news. If you'll indulge me in one more prayer, we can never pray enough in this sanctuary. I'm gonna say one more quick prayer. Lord, may everything that is of you be remembered and may everything that is not of you be forgotten. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you know what the Apostle Paul and I have in common is verbosity. The propensity to use a lot of words while trying to make a point, but perhaps using too many words so it's easy for people to get lost along the way. Don't worry, I'm relying on a manuscript today for that reason. And you know, when we read excerpts of Paul's letters, especially this one to the Romans, we tend to see that when we're hopping in midway through one of his long diatribes where he's off to the races on some point that he's trying to make. So all that is to say, if you got a little lost during that scripture reading, no worries, I'll give you kind of the main points to put across. Simply put, what Paul is doing here is differentiating to his audience. He's differentiating putting one's trust in their ability to perform the commands of the law, to, command the, uh, to follow the commands of the Torah, and putting one's trust in the work that Jesus has done through his life, death, in resurrection, the good news of Jesus bringing the kingdom of God here to earth. He emphasizes in this scripture that we've just read, Paul does, he emphasizes the power of Jesus's work by uplifting its trustworthiness. He says that no one who believes in Jesus will be put to shame. He also uplifts the unlimited scope, the far reach of the work of Jesus Christ by saying there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Finally, he points out the need, the worth, the beauty of bringing good news to the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love that verse. 
Now I wanna take a brief moment to think of this concept of good news. So the word gospel literally means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. These are one and the same. And oftentimes when we think of gospel, we think of it uh, in terms of our sins are forgiven and we get to go to heaven when we die and that's it. And don't get me wrong, yes and amen, thank God uh, that we, get, uh, we have salvation through Christ. However, there's more to the way that Jesus talks about the gospel that I wanna give uh, attention to. In Luke chapter four, when talking about his work to proclaim the gospel, Jesus says that I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. The good news is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of, of Jesus Christ, yes, we get to go to heaven one day. And the kingdom of God also has broken into our lived reality here and now. And though that kingdom will not be fully established until Jesus' return, it is nonetheless here among us now, changing the way that we see the world, changing the way that we hope and love in this world, and changing how we operate in this world. So when I say good news today, that good news is the hope of the kingdom of God, the hope of resurrection life that Paul talks about when he says that Jesus has gone down into the death and then raised up and ascended into heaven. When I found out I was going to be preaching today, I turned to the lectionary to look at today's scriptures. And when I saw this one, that last particular verse struck with me. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And as soon as I read it, I couldn't shake how relevant it was to us on a day where we gather here to bless backpacks. I felt a connection there, the blessing of the backpacks and the beauty of the feet of those who bring good news. Because if you're like me, sometimes the concept of bringing the good news can seem a little hard to conceptualize and put into practice. It's a pretty big task. But one and the same with this idea of bringing good news is this idea of blessing. So I wanna talk a little bit about blessing as we understand how we share the good news. In his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen describes the act of blessing as, quote, affirming and calling forth one's belovedness. I love that description because it reminds us that the act of blessing is not about some special ability that ordained pastors have when we come forward here. It's not even about something reserved to what goes on in the walls of this church. Blessing is about drawing our attention to God's presence and power. Blessing is about instilling a belief that God's love is not something that we're striving to attain, but something that we get to begin with as a gift. Blessing is indeed about drawing us into this reality of the good news of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. To see that God's kingdom is at work in every nook and cranny of this world, including in the lives of our young ones and in their schools and in their day-to-day -day lives. Blessing draws our attention to what God is doing and opens our eyes to it. And this is especially true in places and seasons where that reality of the good news may seem harder and harder to see. And indeed, I'm sure we all have experienced or perhaps are experiencing times when the reality of the good news of God's kingdom seems hard to grasp for us. I think we're oftentimes in church circles, or at least in my experience, I think we're 
oftentimes either afraid to admit it when we're struggling to see the good news because we think that'll make us a bad Christian for some reason, or perhaps we just feel inclined to give up on good news because it seems like it's been too shrouded by the darkness of the world in some shape, form, or fashion. And perhaps giving up on the good news does not necessarily mean giving up on being a Christian, though it could look like that. But perhaps giving up on the good news for you looks like giving up on something that God has called you to do to live into his kingdom. Giving up on finding healing for a deep-seated hurt within your own heart. Or giving, or believing that you have, or giving up on believing that you have anything special to offer to the work of God's kingdom. These feelings of where we're inclined to, to give up on the good news leads us to a state of being that St. Ignatius of Loyola, a 16th century state, called a state of desolation. Desolation is described in this way by Ignatius. It's an experience of spiritual disconnect where we might feel drained of energy, where we might feel turned in on ourselves to the point where we can't focus on what's going on around us and how God's activity is alive in our communities and in our relationships around us. A state of desolation cuts us off from community and makes us forgetful of the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past, makes us forget the landmarks of God's faithfulness in our lives. This probably sounds familiar to you because it sure sounds familiar to me. All of these feelings of desolation crowd our consciousness and diminish our vision for the future, diminish our vision of hope, diminish our vision of the good news. And God knows that there are countless voices in our heads and in the world around us that easily drive us into these feelings of desolation. I know each night as I scroll through my news feed, instead of preparing myself for holy rest, it becomes seemingly inevitable to get drawn into feelings of desolation. However, what's important to realize when thinking of those times of desolation, of disconnect, is to not feel guilty for it. Is to, not, is to realize that it's not foreign to the Christian experience. The scriptures are pretty explicit about that. We were reminded just a couple of weeks ago of the promise of Romans 8, that the Spirit intercedes for us even in our wordless groans of prayer. I also love how in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of Jesus' sermon, he speaks of blessing existing even in the midst of feelings that could be associated with disorientation. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Not blessed will they be when they're finally over what they're mourning. He says that blessing, his presence, the presence of God's spirit exists even in the morning, even in the hungering and thirsting, even in our feelings of disorientation. Because that's indeed one of the beautiful things about this idea of blessing. A blessing gives a tangible reminder of the good news that God is with us and that God will not abandon us, but will be with us through the journey and deliver us. Even though we walk through the valley in the shadow of death, he is with us, as the psalmist reminds us. Good news enters into our narratives of hopelessness to tell a new story. To illuminate this, I'll invite us to turn back to the last verse of today's scripture. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
If you look at your Bible in Romans, there's quotation marks around that. And that's because here Paul is quoting, he's referring to Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 52. And in this chapter, uh, Isaiah is speaking a message of hope and redemption for Jerusalem's restoration on the other side of the exile brought about by the Babylonian forces. Now, in this section of Isaiah 52, the author is using this distinct imagery of a king who's gone out to war to take on a battle on behalf of his people. And setting up the scene of a royal city, waiting in great anticipation for news on whether or not that king was victorious in battle. In the image set up in Isaiah, we would know that if the king was not victorious, the news of that failure would be brought in the form of invading forces, bringing about doom and destruction. But with good news, with good news of victory, comes a messenger with a message of hope. As verse seven in Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Where much of the story for Jerusalem has been about judgment and exile to this section of Isaiah, the good news enters in to interrupt a narrative of hopelessness. And friends, I want us to remember that good news still has the power to interrupt narratives of hopelessness today. To remind us that sin, despair, and death do not get the last word because our God still reigns. Therefore, just as much as ever, this work of bringing good news and bringing blessing in a world that can sometimes feel cursed This work is just as beautiful as ever because good news interrupts narratives of darkness by proclaiming light. Good news interrupts narratives of death by proclaiming life. Indeed, good news interrupts our hard-heartedness and gives us the audacity to believe again that God can do a new thing. I wanna share with you a time that some friends and I were interrupted with good news during my time in college. I had a friend back when I was at Ole Miss by the name of Timothy. He was a very chill guy, very humble, relaxed. He never looked for attention, you know? And he loved Jesus in a way that was just so pure and real. And back in 2015, when I was at Ole Miss, I believe I was a junior at the time, We were often visited by what you might refer to as street corner evangelists. You know, those who would come to the corners of these college campuses and just yell at everyone there, yelling condemnation on them for reason X, Y, or Z, while holding up these inflammatory signs that would take scripture totally out of context. And whenever these preachers would come, the scene would look very similar every time. You'd have people who would go up and mock him or debate him. There'd also be some good, well-intentioned folks who would typically go up there with signs themselves to say, this is not Christianity. But most of us, myself included, would decide that ignoring the noise, that ignoring the narrative going on would be better rather than pouring fuel in the fire. So we would just walk by and try our best to ignore it. But Timothy, my buddy, was deeply disturbed by what was going on and the narrative that was being told of his faith. 
So he decided to do something different. He looked at a few friends of ours who were there with him and said something to the effect of, we have to show them the real Jesus. So he went inside to the student union at Ole Miss, upstairs to a subway that we had there. And he grabbed one of those plastic tops of a large platter that you have on catering orders. He flipped it over and he filled it with water and began offering to wash people's feet as they walked by in front of the union, just a dozen feet away from all the commotion of the troublemaking preacher. He wasn't doing it for drama or flair. He was trying to give a simple demonstration with simple elements, water, plastic top, feet. But to me and to many others who stopped and paid attention for a bit, this simple gesture of Timothy's, of just obeying Christ and imitating Christ, was a divine interruption. An interruption, yes, to the hateful noise of the misguided demonstrator, but also an interruption to the apathy that was deep-seated within myself. The apathy of those of us who just preferred to ignore the noise and move on. Timothy interrupted us with the good news of God's mercy by seeking to give a blessing through the washing of feet. He declared the gospel in a way my own words never could at that moment. I didn't know how much I needed that good news until Timothy was willing to bring it that day. But his blessing helped me see, helped me wake up to Jesus's presence on that campus and see how beautiful it was to proclaim the good news on a campus in whatever way when we were in a place filled with restless hearts in need of God's peace to be spoken over them. You know, it's easy to despair oftentimes, whether it be through the state of the world, through the challenges of our day-to-day life, these challenges are valid. Life is stressful. The world's been a lot lately. And sometimes it's tempting to think that good news is a thing of the past, even for us Christians. Sometimes it is indeed us Christians who come in here every single week who need a reminder of the good news so that we can then bear that good news to our corners of the world. And my confession to you is that my own vision's been a little cloudy lately, if I'm being honest. In the midst of all the changes and transitions of life and the demands of it, I find myself being a bit cloudier when it comes to my faith. And due to this, at the beginning of the week, I found myself struggling how to figure out how to put any helpful words in this message, how to uh, talk about the scripture well. So I decided to just get out of my office to reorient my brain, and the only place that I could think to go was the sanctuary. And as I sat in here and looked around, I noticed a couple things. First, I noticed the stained glass around us in here. Here we see depictions of Jesus showing up in the daily activity of earth as told throughout the scriptures in ways as mundane as conversation and as huge as laying down his life for us. All for the purposes of interrupting and orienting our attention to the good news of that which is depicted behind us, of the kingdom of God having victory over everything of this world and redeeming all of creation. Then I noticed one more thing that Ross actually pointed out to me when I was interviewing here. He pointed out that right where I'm standing, you can see that the hardwood floor has been pretty worn and indented. And I'm told this is by the feet of a man named Reed Crotty, who I have never met in my life, but I feel like I know very well because of how well y'all speak of this man. And rightfully so, it's obvious that he's left a legacy. 
And apparently he liked to shuffle his feet right here when he was preaching. And you can see, come check it out afterwards. The indents are up here. But as I was sitting here just kind of overwhelmed, this physical reminder of literal feet bringing good news to this church led me to think of all the manners of blessing that have occurred here. Baptisms, marriages, celebrations of life departed for saints, the good news declared by our choir every single week. All of these blessings. And yes, backpacks as well. This work of being a blessing, of declaring the good news, continues. The legacy left by these footprints, not just through the spoken preaching word, but in the way that we live, that we live our lives throughout our communities. This work continues. God is still with us. We bless backpacks today, not because it's a cute tradition that we just do, but because it reorients us to the belovedness of our children and the holiness of their journey in school. And because it reminds us that in every corner of our lives, God is still there beckoning our attention toward him and trusting that he can indeed do a new thing. We bless because we know that the good news is just as good as ever. May we be a people who bless each other and our neighbors to give them a glimpse of that good news. And may we be a people who intentionally seek God's face so that we may be blessed to see the same good news. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.